You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Are you ready for Christmas? Like, I mean, the, the, the question does bring up a, a layer of anxiety, doesn't it, uh, right? Maybe, maybe you saw Lyle and, and Tim get up here, and they, are, you're, they do this reading, and you're like, no, it isn't. It's not Advent. Uh, and, and, and you feel this anxiety welling up in you because you're, you're thinking, you know what, I'm not ready, <laughs> right? Because there's so much to make ready for Christmas, right? Kids, you, you've got Christmas lists uh, to write, and adults, you have Christmas cards to write, and that's a thing of the past, isn't it, it seems like? Or a Christmas email. There's a home to prepare. There's lights to put up. There's decorations to be placed. There's plans to be set. There's dinners to be decided on and, and visits to be scheduled. There's travel to sort. Then there's the food. The food needs to be prepared. And, and the gifts, there's gifts to buy. We need to buy gifts for, for our kids and relatives and friends and coworkers and neighbors and, and the karate teacher. Are you ready for Christmas? And not many of us are, but, but here is the good news. There's still lots of time to prepare. There's still time to prepare. There's still time to make ready for Christmas, to make ready the house and the plans and the food and the gifts. And mark this, there's still time to make ready the most important thing. Your own heart Don't miss this one, church. In all that there is to prepare, don't miss the most important one. Let's not let Christmas come and go without entering its real meaning, which is the arrival of God's love who's come close to us in the person of Jesus. In John chapter 1, we're told that, that when Jesus first arrives... That there were people there who, who missed what he came to give the world. They missed it. The text says that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but, but even his own did not receive him. And the truth of the matter is, we can miss Christmas altogether if we miss Jesus. And John 1 tells us that even people of faith can miss him, even us. And that's why we take time every year to prepare our hearts to receive the gift of Christ afresh and anew. Let's not miss the most important thing. Advent is this season in the church's calendar that that we have done year after year, generation after generation, that helps us make ready for Christmas, to make ready for the coming of Christ. And so over the next four weeks during this season of Advent, we're going to take a break from our sermon series in the parables, and, and I want to help you make ready for Christmas. I want to help you prepare your own heart to experience the fullness of what Christmas is really all about, to help you pay attention. 
And so, uh, today, I want to turn your attention to a little family that we read about, a, a little family of three, who we find at the very beginning of the Christmas story that is told in Luke's Gospel. So I invite you to turn there with me. It's in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 5, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 25. Luke 1, 5 to 25, hear the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so, so we have this little trio, this, this little family of three, and, and their place in the Christmas story it can, can be summed up by, by one line, really, uh, I believe, that is in verse 17. 
And now the line really is describing John, the son that is promised to this uh, elderly couple. But the line really does reflect, I believe, the entire family's legacy. It says this. It says, John will go on before Jesus to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When we dig into this family, we see that, that all three of them, they actually help prepare us for the coming of the Lord. In other words, they make us ready for Christmas. And as I mentioned earlier, John 1, it, it, it tells us that when Jesus first arrived, there was this whole bunch of people who, who, who missed it. They weren't ready. They completely missed the arrival of the world's Savior. Even though the light and love of heaven was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus, they didn't notice they didn't recognize him. And the question is, why? Have you ever wondered that? How could they miss it? Why did the people around Jesus not see him for who he truly was? Why didn't they recognize him? Or maybe a more poignant question for us today, why do people miss or dismiss Jesus at all? And I think it's because in order to recognize Jesus for who he truly is, we first need to see our own personal need for him. Because if you don't think you need a Savior, then you won't see one standing in front of you. People miss or dismiss Jesus because they don't think they need him. And here's the thing, church, as we come to another Christmas, we would, be well, we would do well to turn our attention once again to all the ways in which we continue to need Jesus and the salvation that he came to bring. We won't miss Christmas if we continue to turn our attention to the areas in our life that we continue to need Jesus. You see, Christmas isn't about a little cuddly, cute baby lying in a manger, it's about God entering our greatest human needs in order to bring us God's provision, to bring us his, his presence and his power, his forgiveness, his salvation. And we make ready for Christmas by turning attention to all the ways in which we need a Savior. And here's where this little family of three comes in. Their story helps us see a few of the areas in our life in all our lives, that we truly need Jesus to come close. They show us our areas of need where we need God to come close and fill our need, provide for us. And so let's start with Elizabeth, the mother of this little family. Elizabeth, along with her husband, they were faithful people. The scriptures say, look, verse 6, it says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the law, the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. And so on one level, Elizabeth, she was filled with God. But on another level, she was completely empty. She was childless. And now at an age where having a child was, was really out of the question. And maybe for some of you here, you know a piece of, of Elizabeth's journey. And in Elizabeth's day, not, not being able to have a child, it not only brought the heartache of an empty home, 
It brought a whole lot of dishonor upon the household. That's how it simply worked in an honor-shame culture. Barren women lived under the weight of social shame. She was looked down upon and pitied. It was like this double punch to the stomach. And we can be certain that Elizabeth prayed many times for God to give her a child. We can be certain about it. Alone in her house, I'm sure she whispered the prayer. Every time she walked down the streets hearing the whispers of the other women, I'm sure she whispered the prayer. When she went to visit her relatives, I'm sure she whispered the prayer. When she worshipped at the synagogue, she whispered the prayer, I'm certain of it. Elizabeth faced a situation that she longed for God to remedy. Now, in your own life, maybe you're not longing for a child. Maybe you are. But the reality is we are all facing situations that we are and we feel powerless to change. And perhaps it's a health situation or a job situation or a relationship situation. Maybe it's an addiction situation or a deep loneliness situation, a grief situation. You see, we face all these life situations and we feel like we're powerless to fix them on our own. Most of the time we are. Maybe this is where you need Jesus. Maybe this is where your need for him lies this Christmas. It's in your life situation, whatever it may be. You need Jesus to bring hope back into your life. Church, the gospel of Jesus isn't simply concerned with the condition of your soul. It's concerned with the situation of your life. Jesus wants to bring salvation to both of them, both your soul and your situation. And Christmas is about heaven's Savior coming close. It's about God putting on human flesh and coming so close that he enters the broken situations of our lives in order to bring us hope and wholeness. It's the gospel. And perhaps one step in making ready for Christmas this year is to bring your situation to God and to say to him, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need your help. I need you to come close. I need your presence. I need your provision. I need your rescue. And now for Elizabeth, God intervened in in a miraculous way to, to fulfill the desires of her heart. The beginning of the story, we, we see her that she is that she's she's barren and living under this, this social shame. But at the end of the story, she's she's pregnant, expecting, and, and we're told that God had removed the shame and restored her to a place of favor, right? In the eyes of people around. From dishonor to, to favor, from, from hopelessness to hope. It's what Jesus did for Elizabeth. And it's what he does for all of us. And sometimes he brings us that hope, not by giving us the very thing we prayed for. 
We learned this last week. But we know whenever we pray, God always answers because of his great name. And he gives us himself, his presence. And when he's present, so is his power and his peace. And this is where Elizabeth leads us in the Advent season. She reminds us of our need for Jesus in the desperate situations of our life. And for that, Jesus has come. And for that, Jesus will come again. Which brings us to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. Zechariah, uh, as well, was an elderly man. He was a priest who spent his whole life serving God and, and God's people. And the text tells us again in, in verse 6, the same verse uh, uh, about Elizabeth, that he was one of the good ones. They weren't all good. But he was faithful and honest. Week in and week out, Zechariah faithfully did what faithful priests do. He tried to love God and love other people and be a light of God to those around him. But here's the thing. Zechariah knew that something wasn't right in his world. Well, two things, really. The first was he wasn't able to have a child, which we've already spoken about. But second, he knew something wasn't right about the people of God, about the way they were living. Once they were a people who, in their life together, reflected God's goodness and his glory in the world, but, but not any longer. They'd lost their way. They'd forgotten the things that really mattered to God. They'd gone their own way and turned their back on God's wisdom and God's way. In Zechariah, he saw the need for the community of faith to reestablish themselves as a community that once again reflected God's character in the world, to become a people of righteousness and justice, people of peace. And so Zechariah, at the core of what he prayed for, was for the redemption of God's people. We see this a few places. One uh, I didn't read because it comes way later in the text, but, but after Zechariah's child is born, he begins to praise God. And this is what he says in verse 68. It's not on the screen. Zechariah says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Zechariah's heart, his mind, was, was always on the people of God, and his prayer was that they would be redeemed, that God would bring them back. We also hear a bit of this going on in what the angel says to Zechariah when he speaks of this promised son that would be born to him. Look, look at verse 13 and what follows. This is what the angel says to Zechariah. He says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Okay, let's pause there. His prayer has been heard. And we assume when we read this that the prayer that Zechariah prayed was for a child, right? That's kind of what we assume. And for certain, he prayed for a child. But for certain, he prayed for the redemption of God's people. That once again, they would be a holy nation, carrying the love of God and the light of God to their neighbors, 
to the people around them. It was part of his prayer. How do we know that? Because it's what the angel says comes next. (laughs) He says, your prayer has been heard. Your your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you were to call him John, but but guess what? Guess what he's going to do? He's going to answer your prayer. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children again and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous again to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah saw a need for the community of faith together in their life with one another to return to the way and wisdom of God. Can I pause here? I think that where Zechariah really saw the need was in in the society, right? He looked at the society of people around him, this community of faith, and he said, we need Jesus, We need his way. We need his wisdom. And now here's where where Zechariah helps us make ready for Christmas. He reminds us that from time to time, God's people, we fall away from God's wisdom and his ways. And we need to be brought back to his center again. We need Jesus to come close to us to get us back on track to restore our daily walk with the one that follows him with every step that we take. In other words, we can make ready for Christmas by taking an honest look at our lives and and to consider where we've fallen out of step with God's ways and where we need his corrective wisdom in order to live our lives well to live our lives in a way that reflects the goodness and the glory of God. Now, I'm going to take us into the text a bit. Notice in the text, the angel mentions two things about daily life of the redeemed people, right? Daily life in this society of the redeemed people. Two things the angel mentions. He speaks about parents' hearts turning to their children and then disobedient hearts turning to the wisdom of other godly people. Do you see that in the text, the two things? Here the angel is highlighting two areas in our daily walk with God. First, raising kids, and second, the voices that we allow to shape how we live our life. You see that in the text in that second piece? There is raising the next generation And then there is the counsel that we choose to listen to and follow. These are the two things. And for the second, we can live by the wise counsel of the godly or the unwise and ungodly message of the voices that we hear around us in our culture, in the world around us. I find it interesting that the angel here is being very practical, right? I'm not... I'm not a real practical preacher. I like to to speak in big pictures and and images and and kind of give you a kind of something to wrap your mind around so you can go and live it in the practicalities of your life. I would think the angel would do something similar, but the angel's getting very specific here. It's giving these, these two practical areas by which we can order our life. 
by raising children well among the wise counsel of the godly. It's what the text is, is telling us. It's, it's what John comes to prepare us for. It's, it's what Zechariah was praying about. And church, I want to say a couple things about some of this. First, I want to say that we all need the counsel of wise, godly people, all of us. We all need pastors in our lives. And I'm not talking necessarily about me, because there are many pastors who are sitting in this room, many. You don't hold the title, but you hold the mantle of God's authority to come alongside others and help them follow Jesus. We need wise, godly people in our lives. We need them to speak into our lives and shape how we live our lives and to challenge how we are living our lives. One of the ways that we can make ready for Christmas is to recognize our need for other Jesus people in our life. People to help us become what God wants us to be in the world. And maybe with the coming of Jesus this Christmas, you might want to think about taking a step into Christian community. It's a way of preparing your heart for his coming because it's what he's come to do. Perhaps in the new year, you want to think about joining a circle or calling up a Christian friend of yours to begin to meet with them regularly, to pray and read scripture and allow the wisdom of the godly to shape who you're becoming. We all need that. You need Jesus in your daily walk of faith. And he comes close, not simply at Christmas, but he comes close through other people who worship him as Lord. And we need them. And then there's the area of raising kids. Young kids Older kids, teenagers, I want to say that, that we all have a role to play in this, in this society of, of, of our faith, as we carry faith together. We all have a role uh, to play in raising our kids. When Danielle kind of read the scripture this morning about these 24 elders who who, who saw Jesus on, on the throne of the universe and, and, and they lay down their crowns and they worship him. There was this moment inside of me where, where I thought, that's what it looks like to be a leader. That's what it looks like to be a parent, a shepherd, someone who, who is teaching others to follow Jesus. That's the requirements of an elder, to lay down a crown of worship in front of the king who is worthy. And as I had these images and as I was worshiping, I, I look up in the balcony and I, I wasn't staring at you, Derek. Bless you. you. You look great today, though. But my son was standing right in front of you and he was worshiping. He wasn't sitting with me, his daddy, sitting with Derek. <laughs> and he's worshiping in a community of faith, a community of godly people. He's learning to worship Jesus. He's learning to know God's love and care and character amongst the community of faith. And many of our kids, they slept outside last night. 
And we had these young adult leaders in, in Gemma and, and Laura and Alex and, and Matthew who, who, who took time to, to sleep outside to show them the character of Jesus, who has compassion on those who are not living in homes and has compassion on those who are the most vulnerable among us. It takes a village to raise a child, as they say. It takes a church full of godly people to raise our kids to know and love Jesus. We need each other. But I want to say this to parents specifically this morning. Your kids need Jesus in their daily walk too. And you are the greatest influence in their lives. There's no one, no one greater influence in the lives of your children than you are, and they need Jesus, which means they need you to teach them in both word and deed who he is, his gospel of love, and what it means to be the church. And let me say this about raising kids raising our kids in godly wisdom. Look, this past season of COVID, it has completely changed the way that we are raising our kids in faith. It's changed it. Maybe you haven't noticed it, but, but it has. Attending a Sunday morning service is hard for parents. And COVID has opened this opportunity to tune in online and, and not to struggle with getting out of the house uh, with all the kids trying to get them out the house. Some of you parents know this struggle very well. My confession is I've never had to know that struggle because I'm always here before my kids get here. So bless you, Gina. You're doing an amazing job. It's a struggle, right? And now I want you to hear me on this. Being in a building every week is not the goal. Attending a service with uh, your kids, just being in attendance isn't the ultimate goal. But mark this, church. Don't miss it. Parents, when your kids are here, week in and week out, it shapes who they are becoming. Not only are they learning about the love of Jesus from other people and learning to worship him from other people and following him with other people, they're learning that Jesus is important to you, their parents, that he's important enough that you're going to go through the struggle to get them out the house and have them here amongst the community of God's people. This is so important. Going through the struggle and showing up, showing your adoration for worship for Jesus week in and week out says something to your kids about how important he is in your life and they need to see it. They need to see it. I hated going to church as a kid. I'm just going to say that. This is confession time. <laughs> there must have been one moment that I, I played the trick of I pretended to be asleep you know, and the trick about when you're trying to pretend to be asleep is eye control. You know this? Like, because parents can see your eyes are moving underneath your eyelids. So if you can somehow kind of get that sorted, they'll think that you really are sleeping. But I must have done this one week, uh, and my parents, for whatever reason, we didn't go to church because I was sleeping. So I tried it every single week after that. It only worked once. But they would get me up, and I would go. And, and it shapes something in me. 
And then I came to the point where they would make me go and I would feel like sick. Like I, I actually physically I would feel sick and one morning I threw up. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that from the stage. That's gross. <laughs> and my parents took me home. And so every other week, oh, I don't feel very good when I'm here. Like I feel like I, uh, I'm not doing well. Can we go home, Mom and Dad? And, and no, we, we couldn't. And I didn't like going. <laughs> and here I am. Here I am. It's important. And it shapes something in us. Jesus is the most important thing that your kids need, that our kids need. And parents, you are a huge role. You play the biggest role in Jesus drawing close to them. And so perhaps this year, as you, as you make ready for Christmas, maybe part of you making ready for Christmas is you making your kids ready. To tell them what it's about. To show them what acts of love and compassion look like in serving those in need. And say, this is what Jesus does. Tell them the gospel story. To impress upon them what Christmas is about. And maybe your prayer is, Jesus, come close to me and help me be a godly parent to my child. Look, I covered a lot of distance here, and I see all of this in Zechariah in some way, shape, or form. In him we see someone who knew that the community of faith, that they need Jesus, we need him for our daily lives, the, the intricacies of our daily lives, of raising kids and making wise decisions. He prepares us for that. Which brings us to the third of the trio, and it's John, the promised son. John the Baptist. John's entire life mission was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus, which I've already spoken about from verse 17. And he did that by preaching a message of repentance. He called people to take an honest look inside the private place of their own heart, but also outside at the public ways they lived their lives. To be honest. In short, John called people to see their need for God's forgiveness. When Zechariah longed for a world to be set right under God's wisdom and ways, his son John understood that the world is only set right when individual hearts are set right with the God who made us. In the early 1900s, the, the Times, a, a famous, the famous newspaper in London, invited famous thinkers from all across London famous thinkers and authors, to answer a single question. They, they were invited to write their essay, and it would be published in a newspaper. And the single question was this, what's wrong with the world today? Ooh, that, actually, you can't, you know, let's, don't go on Twitter. I mean, you, could, you go on social media, everyone's talking about this. They all have their opinions. It's maybe not different. But these were famous authors, authors of, of all sorts. They sent in these vast essays about what's wrong with the world, and, and, and they, they wrote all these words about world greed and violence and racism, you name it. They, they wrote about it. But the most powerful submission was the shortest. And it was by a man named G.K. Chesterton. He wrote this to the editor who was a man. He said, Dear Sir, in response to your question, what's wrong with the world today? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? I am. 
This is precisely what John the Baptist came to help us see, to soften our hearts, to see our need for Christ, our Savior, the one who comes to forgive us of sin and reconcile us to the God who loves us. That's the ultimate reason Jesus came close that first Christmas day. And so as you make ready for Christmas, this Advent season, perhaps your prayer is, Lord Jesus, come close once again. Take my sin and forgive me. Restore me as your child. And make me your person of peace in this world. With Elizabeth, we see our need for Jesus in our situation. With Zechariah, we see our need for Jesus in our society. And with John, we see our need for Jesus in ourselves. Let's make ready for Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss you. Oh. But Lord, I, I know that we won't. <laughs> We won't because of your faithfulness first and foremost, but also because our hearts do desire to be part of this great gospel that you are, that you are writing into our world. We want to be part of something bigger, not simply in our, our own broken situations and, and not simply within our little society of faith here and the larger one we live in and, and not simply uh, something bigger in ourselves. We want to be your kingdom people in every sense of the word. And so Jesus, come close. Reignite our passion. Bring your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that, that this Christmas season would be one where we experience your voice, where we hear it in greater measure that we experience your presence in, in a closer way, and that, Jesus, we would be a light to our neighbors, radiating the love of God. Make us ready for Christmas, Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen.